Hey there, welcome back to another rousing episode of Entertainment Beyond. As always, I'm your one and only, effervescent host with the most, or sometimes not even the most, Jensen, the beautiful and majestic Dean Jackson. And on this morning's podcast, I'm going to review the DC 2018 film Aquaman, starring Jason Momoa, Nicole Kidman, Patrick Wilson, Amber Heard, and Tamara Morrison. Now, I mean, if you were to tell me that, uh, statistically speaking, Aquaman would be better received, make more money, and be more liked than any movie featuring Batman, I'd tell you not only to shoot yourself in the head, but shoot yourself in the dick and the head, and throw yourself off of a boat all at the same time. Would have told you a straight-up haberdashery, and I wasn't having any of it. <clears throat> Here we are, 2019, only the second month in the 2019, and Aquaman did just that, passing a billion dollars at the box office. The most a DC film has made since The Dark Knight Rises all the way back in 2010, I believe? Maybe 11? It's, oh, man, it's a great movie. Like, I don't, I, there's nothing, nothing about it. And when I was reading reviews, spoiler-free reviews online, they were saying that was a good movie, but it was super corny. Or not corny, corny is the wrong word. They were saying it's super cheesy. I went and watched it, and I felt like <coughs> James Wan nailed the tone perfectly. A, 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 a nice walk on the line between lightness and darkness. He had quippy jokes, but then he also had Aquaman doing things like creating his own bad guys by leaving bad guys' dad in the suburb, basically leaving people to die, you know? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the spoiler, or at the beginning of this podcast, but spoilers will be abound throughout the podcast. But yeah, you know, like, dude straight up killing people and shit like that. <clears throat> But it was, it was, you know, and, and the whole time I'm watching, even when I saw trailers, I'm like, you know what? Black Panther Under the Sea. And that's pretty much what it is. This movie, I wouldn't say that it rips off Black Panther because there are differences, but there's a more, it bears more than striking resemblance. One of the main detractors to that statement being that at the end of the day, they're both well they're both family. Aquaman learns and doesn't kill his half brother. And ju- I just gotta say, by the way, man, like fucking my fucking hats are off. All of my hats are off to James Wan for creating a faithful comic book adaption, like, oh my god, fucking fuck, dude. The first time you see Black Manta, holy fuck. Like, so fucking badass. The character that I've been reading about in comic books, that I've seen in cartoons, you know what I'm saying? Like, Black motherfucking Manta. And then you've got Orm, Ocean Master, and when he puts on that fucking mask, he's got the expressive, oh my fucking god, like, yes, so much fucking yes. It's just such a perfect fucking movie. Like, it really is. It's just, it's it's great. The visuals are astounding. The storyline, 
is, you know, I mean, it's a little tired and true. And we definitely saw it in Black Panther. This is just a reverse where the bad guy is already in the kingdom and the good guy is trying to get in. Whereas in Black Panther, the good guy is already in the kingdom and the bad guy is trying to get in. But it works. You know, what also, what, what also works is the, the end credits with beautiful computer renderings. And what, what the end credits reminded me of, <clears throat> excuse me, were the end credits for Avengers Age of Ultron. But unlike Age of Ultron, Aquaman's end, end credits are beautiful, whereas Age of Ultron's end credits are fucking garbage. They look like the most bootleggiest of bootleg chess pieces. And it's just kind of like, I don't fucking understand. It was ugly. It was really ugly and bizarre to look at. It's three in the morning, so give me some slack, you know, kind of trying to think. And I saw this movie at the end of the year or no. Yeah, I think at the end of the year. But yeah, just give me, you know, rock with me. Um, another standout, and I didn't realize they had used it was so flawless. You would think that Marvel, the only ones to crack the fucking code on digitally de-aging motherfuckers, but they have really tricked me into thinking that Nicole Kidman had not aged a day since Batman Forever and her days of playing Chase Meridian, you know, which if you didn't know that, yeah, she's not the first DC film she's been in. She was in Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever, starring opposite Val Kilmer as Chase Meridian, Batman's psychologist. It's Let's not get into it. You know it. Let's just accept it and move on from it. But man, and I'm, you know, all due respect, I'm thinking the whole time I'm seeing Nicole Kidman in the beginning of the film, and I'm just like, man, she is a stone-cold fox. She is not, she's just, uh, she's been beautiful since the first time I set eyes on her, and she remains just as beautiful today as all those years ago when I first saw her. And it's just, man, she was just fucking fine. Like, I don't. She is beautiful, like for real, for real, beautiful. Nicole Kidman, foxy as ever. And I like also, you know, I I really do in in the uh, in the comic books, Aquaman is just, you know, he's pretty, you know, pretty Aryan nation poster boy looking, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. You know, and that's just that uh, most of these character designs and, and shit like that are indicative of let's call them different times where uh, uh, all the comic book heroes are white. You know, it was a very vanilla, vanilla, non sprinkle kind of land. And so I like that not only did they decide to make him some, I don't know exactly what, what type he is. It was Polynesian or something like that, some type of islander. But I like that they gave him that backstory. Half islander, half white, and you know, he's got the tattoos. And I just like that they didn't. They made they made Aquaman more unique by not making him a white boy. And I don't know if that makes sense to any of you listening to this, but yeah. And where he was, and that's you can blame Joss Whedon. You can blame Joss Whedon for entirely half of Justice League 
if you have any ill will or nasty feelings towards a Justice League movie or any of the characters portrayed, blame that motherfucker Joss Whedon because he's the son of a bitch who did it. You know what I'm saying? And and this uh, this movie and the interpretation of Arthur Curry flies in the face of the version in Justice League where he was a pervy bro who totally wanted to bang Diana and was disrespectful to her and was like, I don't want to fight this fucking war and blah, blah, blah. And oh, I've got so much to live for and I'm just a guy. I'm just a young guy and whatever. And this one, it's more so, you know, he's running around the world saving. Like, people know him. He's the Aquaman. People know of him. They know who he is. He's saving people. And it's brilliant. And I had heard on, um, I want to say, Fat Man Beyond, Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin. Shout out to y'all. But you totally missed the ball on it when you're, Mark Bernardin was saying that there was no through line. There was no A to B story for Arthur Curry. And here it is right here, Mark Bernardin. Are you ready, buddy boy? Because I'm about to bust it wide open for you. Arthur's, uh, what should I call Arthur's, you know, his plot line, his, his growing, whatever, whatever you call it when, when characters go from point A to point B. His thing was, and he learns this halfway through the movie with, with Mira, and it's <clears throat> when Black Manta is chasing him, I believe, kills some people. It's, oh yeah, it's after the big fight in Monaco or wherever that happens, such a beautiful fucking set piece in action and uh he's sitting there talking to Mira and he's he says it he's like if I would have saved his dad this would have never happened he's like and he there was there was you could feel the remorsefulness because his actions were causing others to get hurt and there you have it Mark Bernard and that's Aquaman's growth from point A to point B. He started the movie as kind of a douchey, you know, oh, you're a pirate, you gotta die kind of guy. And by not even the end of the movie, he learns compassion for others. And his learned compassion in, in failing to save Black Manta's father, he carried that compassion in on to not murdering Orm. He learned off of the back of a mistake to not make another mistake. And I think that's beautiful. You don't get that a lot. Much less do you get superheroes acknowledging, hey, I made a mistake, I fucked up. I did this really terrible thing. And because of it, people that I care for are going to suffer. Usually superheroes are pretty headstrong. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, Tony Stark could learn a thing or two or six from Arthur Curry about mistakes being made, you know, Tony Stark, that's the whole reason behind Iron Man 3, as flimsy of a plot uh, thingy device as it is, and what is it, a a Aldrich, Killian Aldrich, so wh whatever, the guy who ran the extremist program in Iron Man 3, if he hadn't have been such a dick bag to homeboy back in the fucking, back in 1999 and left him up on the rooftop on New Year's Eve, he probably wouldn't have developed all this shit to try to kill Tony Stark. You know, created fake Mandarin and whatnot. It probably would have been pretty cool. But because of Tony's arrogance and lack of empathy, he created his own villain. And Arthur Curry did the same thing. 
through different means. And it's not to say that Black Manta and his father didn't have whatever was coming to them because the life of the pirate is no life for me. And if you choose that life, you have to accept that death is always possibly on the other side of whatever door you're knocking on. So when they get into the scrap of that submarine and they're trying to kill this dude and AC just takes a fucking, uh, a fucking missile or whatever and pins his father to the ground, like, that is the eventuality of your pirate lifestyle. Like, I, you know, I don't remember reading about too many pirates who lived a full, hearty, healthy life, you know, because that's the pirate life. You know, it's almost indicative of that lifestyle that you are supposed to die at a fairly young age. You're not supposed to live long, you know. That's a that's an admiral in, in a fleet who doesn't go around killing people. Those are the type of people who live long. You're a pirate and you're just going around stealing shit. You're pirating. Chances are you you can either, you know, come away with the take of a lifetime or you can die with nothing. And so for them, that was that was something that was kind of like, well, come on, man. Like, you knew what, what with being a bad guy, what comes with that lifestyle, but they were still shocked. And then after, and that was one of the other interesting things, is after they're trying to kill this dude, because he, he's basically just defending himself, and he's saving a bunch of people from being murdered. They are totally in the wrong. And after all that, his father's pinned under the missile, and he's like, you got to help my father. And, and, and Arthur's just like, yeah, pretty much like, fuck you, you know. <clears throat> and, but that you can't have, if you don't have that moment, then you don't learn, you don't have the moment where Arthur learns compassion for his brother. And Orem is, if, if Killmonger wasn't really a bad guy before he came to Wakanda and started choking out elders and shit, Orm isn't really a bad guy. There's a beautiful, there's a beautiful, beautiful uh, shot where Orm, in, in his declaration of war on the surface world, he makes this giant, like, tidal wave. And in the morning's coverage everywhere, um, all the trash that we have dumped into the sea and polluted and killed and murdered sea life with is thrown back up on her shores. And I mean like miles and miles and miles and miles of trash. And it's one of those things where if you're not a complete piece of shit, you you sit back and you look at that and you're like, man, I'm so disgusted to be a fucking surface dweller. <laughs> and it was, just, it was just a very beautiful, powerful message about how we are fucking this earth up almost beyond repair. And it kind of made me sad because it's a reality. Only there are no fish people underneath the sea to push all our garbage back up and tell us, hey, you've been fucking up. Stop fucking our life up. Stop it. But yeah, I mean, fuck, dude. Everybody brought it in this movie. Everybody that needed to bring it brought it. And, oh yeah, I got a little sidetracked talking about the trash thing. But Orem is not really, he's not a bad guy. He doesn't do some things. That's some of the reviews I've been reading on, on, uh, online about this movie is that it's Black Panther underneath the sea. And it's got some major 
major things that are hard to be to ignore, but it's it's not a carbon copy of Black Panther, folks. It's a pretty stone cold, good ass movie, and I highly recommend that you see it. I I, I think it's it's beautiful, and and that's where the comparisons, you know, they kind of drop is that Orem. He's not a bad dude. He's a dude that's probably been manip- manipulated a little bit. The hierarchy of royal life is way different than, you know, say if just an average ordinary Joe like you or me gets married. Uh, your wife is probably not going to be betrothed to some other motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Arranged marriages don't don't exist for normal people because we're not important enough. You know, you got to have some money. You got to have a little bit of that cheddar cheddar and you know, whatever. Orm is is a victim of manipulation, monarchy, royalty. He's he's sort of a victim. And some of his views, especially the views on the surface world and how we have fucked up the ocean and we're not innocent in all this. It it, it makes sense. But at the end of the day it's it's all about, you know, we all have messages. But at the end of the day, it's all about how you get that message across, you know. <clears throat> I can't, you know, relay a message of being broke and in trying to relay that message going and robbing a bank and think, thinking that I can come out being a semi-decent looking person if that's how I'm choosing to relay my message. And he has a message, but the way he chooses to relay the message is to wage all-out unholy war with the surface world, and that's kind of what makes him a bad guy, oh, and the fact that he's running running around to all the other, you know, there are like seven kingdoms or whatnot in in Atlantis underneath uh, the ocean, and he straight up kills this fish king dudes, he kills this fish king dude right in front of his child and and his wife, it's just kind of like, you know what, like, you weren't really a bad dude, in the beginning, and you know what now, dude, you're, you're, you're a bad dude, like, that's a Voldemort levels of evil right there, man, that's just talk about creating your own fucking enemy, (laughs) but what I like, I like about this movie, is that they don't kill their villains, you know, that's been the problem with a lot of superhero movies, where they're always so quick to get a gun off, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, like what, and that's one of the things I hate sometimes about Hollywood. Their, their understanding of how comic books are supposed to work, how an issue, is of a comic book is supposed to work. You think in Spider-Man number one, they introduced the bad guy and then just killed him? No, he was locked up or whatever, or he escaped or whatnot, and they lived on to do battle again and again. And in Aquaman, by the end of Aquaman, not as only as Ocean Master alive. But so is Black Manta, and they live to fight another day. And, you know, when you see Aquaman, you see Orm smiling at him. I think he's smiling because he saved their mommy, and not because he's like, oh, I, I love you now, brother. It's fucking Ocean Master. If you if you know anything about Ocean Master, this is his thing. Uh, Vagary's perception is what I would what I would say about it. Oh, sometimes family can be your worst enemy. And it hurts even more when you're when you're fighting family or betrayed by family versus just a regular friend, because it's blood. That's family, you know, people you love.
I will say that uh, now that this movie's come out, I might wait till Shazam comes out and then do a re uh, do an update in my top DCU DCEU films. <coughs> but I think uh, <coughs> as it stands, uh, I'm still putting Wonder Woman above Aquaman. And that's not even up for discussion. But I think Aquaman comes in at number two. Number three would probably be uh, Batman v Superman with, you know, uh, Man of Steel coming in at number four. And um, number five being Suicide Squad. With number six being Justice League. But, yeah, you know, there's my review. I didn't really talk about the entire movie. There's spoilers here and there. I want you guys to go out and see it. I feel like it hasn't been out very long. It's made it's made all the money in the world, as Kevin Smith would say. But, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts and my opinions and a slight review of Aquaman, directed by James Wan, starring Jason Momoa. I encourage you, if you can, go go see it. It's, uh... It's it's cool for the family. It's got some dark elements, but you know, children nowadays are so goddamn desensitized. This will be like a PG or a G movie to them. They're probably used to watching rated R shit. And in a world where parents let their children at seven or eight years old watch the fucking Walking Dead, I don't think that there should be any type of um, reservations held about taking your seven or eight year old to see Aquaman. They probably will even yawn at it because there's no blood and guts. Because you guys are fucking up as parents, basically. Shameful. Slap your own back of your hand and your face because you're fucking up with your children. But yeah, go ahead. Take your kids to see Aquaman. It's a fun time for all. There's something in there for the kids, for the women, and for the men. Alright, that's going to be all for this episode. As always, I'm your one and only host, Jensen Dean Jackson. Um, Yeah. I guess I'll be hitting you up style whenever I feel like it with another podcast. And I hope you guys had a great new year. Um, Happy Valentine's Day if you celebrate fake holidays. And I'll catch you with another podcast, like I said, a couple minutes ago, whenever I feel like it. And, oh, if you get the chance, one thing you can do for me is go to SoundCloud, go to Google Store, go to... Anywhere we can download an album, peep out a Portland rapper who goes by the name of Indo Slim. He's been putting records out for a minute. They're straight up fire. I wouldn't be telling you this if I didn't believe it myself. So go get out there. Also, another free plug I want to give out. A shout out to the crew over at Above the Airwaves. Uh, Natalia Wolf and Tony Tran, two awesome people I used to work with. They're great. They do this podcasting thing way better than your boy could ever do. Uh, Give those people some love if you haven't already. And I appreciate you guys spending some of your day with me. I hope you enjoy the rest of this beautiful Saturday and this weekend. And try not to let the Super Bowl stress you out too hard. All right. Catch you later.